Hey, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Uh, for all those joining us on live stream, thank you for participating and being with us today. That worship set wasn't any easier. <laughs> oh, man. Happy in your note, it would have been a lot better this morning, or blue skies and rainbows. Uh, but to sing those songs uh, with you and with Dad, it's not, it's rare that preachers get a, who are in the same family get to sit on the same pew and sing songs, and some songs have meant a lot to our family and to people of faith. I got my mom here today who's going to share this moment with me. I'm thrilled to have you here. Here's what we want to try to accomplish this day with those of you in person, those of you on live stream with our church, is my mom and I want to help equip and prepare us. And for some of you, it may be a matter of trying to comfort you in your own pain and in your grief, and we hope to be able to do that. For some of you, it may be a matter of trying to help you to be compassionate people as you walk with others who are suffering in some kind of way. For some of you, you come this morning and you join us this morning and you were wounded. For some of you are scarred. For some of you, you're trying to find your way. We want to use Ephesians 6 to try to help equip us and prepare us for a battle, for a fight, for the grind of life. So if you want to be opening your Bible, so Ephesians chapter 6, we want to take you there. August 21st is a big day for our family. So last Friday, my parents, my mom and dad celebrated their 44th year of marriage. Mm -hmm. yeah, you can put your hands together for that. Uh, it was the day that Jenny, my sister and my mom's daughter who passed away back in 2010, it was the day that she was baptized back in 1989. Uh, and last Friday was Noah's birthday, my youngest son. So <laughs> it's a big day. Now, on August 20th of 2009 is when Casey, we had a, a doctor's appointment. Casey was, oh, she was so ready to have Noah just get him out of her body. And they said, well, man, we can, we can set this up. Like, you could have this baby on the 21st the next day or the 24th or the 25th. And Casey's like, tomorrow, the ne next one, as quick as I can. And, and there wasn't a moment, there wasn't anything in me that was going to say, Casey, now hang on. Like, that's my parents' anniversary. Don't you, don't you think we should keep that to them? <laughs> There's no, who was I to try to tell her after nine months? Like, hey, you should wait a few more days. So it's a big day for our family. So my mom did not originally come to Memphis to co-teach with me. She came to be a grandma, but since she came to be a grandma, you get to join me and co-teach today. So I'm thrilled to have you here. We also have a book that's coming out in a week that we're really excited about, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about that content this morning. But mom, let me start with this, with you. In a few weeks, I turn 40, so you got, you got a kid who's about to leave their 30s. Mm -hmm. You tell me a lot back in 1980, so you had me in September, that it was the hottest summer you could ever remember. Is, it, is that true? Like, when you look back, when you think about me coming into the world, is your first thought how hot it was in 1980? Absolutely. It is still on record, the hottest summer in Texas. And when I say hot, I'm talking hot. It was so hot. <laughs> and I joke that I think every year that goes by 1980, the summer of 1980 gets hotter and hotter and hotter. But, but who am I to argue with that? You're the one who is, who is carrying me. Thank you. Don't argue. Uh, so <laughs> let me ask you, 25 years ago, you know, when I'm a, a young teenager, if somebody would have come up to you and said, hey, Beverly, in the year 2020, and let's just remove COVID from the whole conversation, in the year 2020, you're going to co-write a book and you're going to co-preach with this son of yours, what would you have thought? I never dreamed it in my wildest place that we would have done anything like this together. 
25 years ago, I was using the line, manipulative as it was, on when he would go out on dates, I'm going to be really curious. I'm going to be waiting up on you tonight to see how the Lord uses you on this date. I mean, it was um, pretty incredulous, but I always had my eyes set on where you would, you would be. I just never pictured I would be doing it with you. Hey, and, I'm, and I'm thrilled that we are. Uh, let's, uh, I'm going to read Ephesians 6, okay. 10 through 18, and then we're going we're gonna to go back and forth a little bit this morning. But if you have your Bibles open, read along with me. Ephesians 6, let's begin in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the, the enemy, the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against the enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spear, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. I think the question that hangs in the room when you listen to Ephesians 6 is, what are we going to do about wounds? What are we going to do when something breaks our skin, breaks our heart? Um, when Jenny started seventh grade, my sister and her husband invited me and invited Jenny to go to church camp with them. My, hus my sister's husband was a youth minister, and I was all up for fun. Absolutely, I'll, I'll come. I had no idea it meant sleepless nights, unair conditioned ca cabins, and I was placed in a cabin with seventh grade girls. So there was a lot of drama going on in the room. First day out, we were walking to the river to swim. We were going down there to swim. And I mean, I am all in fun mode. So I'm like playing as we're walking to the river. We're singing. We're kind of dancing a bit. And then all of a sudden, I trip and I fall on gravel. Didn't think much about it because I'm having fun. So kind of brush my knees off, get to the river. I step into the water, the river water wash my knee off. It was a simple, simple fall. Not a big deal. I start noticing, this was first day, that the girls are washing their hair and shaving their legs in the river. Now, this was a pretty conservative camp, so the girls swam first and the boys swam next. I heard rumor that this is what the boys call bath time, but without soap. So, do you understand what I'm saying when I tell you that river was filled with dirty water? The next day, I'm sitting in Bible class, and I notice some teenage girls are looking at my knee and starting to gag. And I look down, and I'm like, oh, dear. My knee had gotten swollen. It was infected. It was gross. So, I go to the nurse, and the nurse begins to gather supplies, I spent the rest of the week going to the nurse three times every day for her to remove all the yuck out of my knee. 
to get the infection out, to make it into a clean wound. This is a quote out of our book. Scabs form best over clean wounds. Clean wounds make better scars. Yes, so, we're, so right now, for the next five weeks, we're in a series on, it's our new vision that we went public with back in May. It preached, uh, I think, seven or eight sermons. So we've, we've launched this vision. Our vision is awakening. Mm. And we have core values that go with it. And our core values are meant to cultivate behavior, to try to generate passion. Uh, but awakening or trying to keep alert, keep awake, uh, no matter what season of life we're in. So this is what we're talking about. So I thought our content from our book and from Ephesians 6 would be great as we talk about what it means to try to stay awake to what God's doing in the mm. world and, and in our lives. So this image of scars is one that's been with us for a while. Back in 2013, my first book was called Scarred Faith, and it, and it was built off this whole idea that a scar is a healed wound, and every scar has a story that goes with it. So there's not a scar we bear on our bodies that doesn't have a story that goes with it. There's not a scar we bear uh, socially or psychologically that doesn't have some kind of story story with it. And a scar is a healed wound, and a lot of times we don't let those wounds heal. We keep them infected in a lot of different ways. So, uh, so kind of our journey to releasing this book in this 18-month month adventure we've been on together kind of started with this. And let me back up and, and, and affirm you, Mom, in, in just a couple of ways. Uh, one, when I think back on our relationship, I know conversations of faith have always been a part of, of our home. But when I think back on the depth of conversations, I don't think they were very deep, at least on my part, until you know, the Lord worked a number on my life my sophomore year of high school. And what I remember after that for the rest of the 90s is that some of our conversations about faith were about relationship with God, intimacy with God. And this was the time Henry Blackaby had released a, a, a Bible study called Experiencing God. And Charles Swindoll had a book called Intimacy with the Almighty. And, and I think for some people in our church, this whole idea of relationship with God was kind of brand new. And, and you and dad, it was transforming your preaching in your life. And then as we moved into the 21st century, we had a, another decade where a, a lot of what was happening in my life as God was opening me up to forms of justice and service and racial reconciliation. So it seemed like there were a few years that we built on conversations about faith and relationship with God, but, but now it also became about just w the kingdom of God and what is God doing all around us. And, and that seemed to be some of the talks we would have Thanksgiving and Christmas and whenever we were together. Since 2010, for this decade, we've built on those other conversations, but a lot of our conversations for the last decade have been about suffering, grief, pain, how do you stay faithful and cling to joy and cling to hope, and for a family full of ministers, how do we keep ministering from a place of joy and hope when, when your heart's been broken, when life moving forward isn't like what life has been like in the past, so I don't know what the next decade's going to be for us, but when I think of the last 10 years, this is the journey you and I and Dad and Casey, a few of us have been on in conversations about faith. Now, about you, something you need to know about my mom, and I share this not just to affirm her, but I think there are some people who may need a word like this over your life today. Uh, because right now, for over 20 years, God has expanded my mom's platform to where she is speaking in front of thousands of women, women's retreats, grief seminars all over the world. And God's expanded this platform, and you've been faithful with what God has given you. You also 
So, so my mom was a stay-at-home mom until my brother went to kindergarten. You went back, and then you got your, your bachelor's degree. You were a teacher. You taught kindergarten and first grade for about a decade. Then you went and got a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. You started working at a few clinics, I guess at first at elementary school, then some clinics. Then you opened your own clinic. And now to see this expand, to have as many people working for you as they do, you, you uh, serve well over 1,000 people. So with that said, October of 2018, Casey and I took the boys down to the beach for a couple of days because Casey hadn't had a beach experience in 2018, and she needs to see the beach at least once a year. So we went down to the beach. We're inside one day because there's a storm, and then you, you and I talked on the phone, and that's when he said, Josh, I have cancer. And even though we felt optimistic about the cancer you had, anytime you hear that the C word, that there is poison inside of your people, it, it can cause you to ask all kinds of questions of what if and, and why. And uh, so all these questions are racing and emotions are racing through us. So we're wrestling with that. Two days later, I get a call from dad. Dad doesn't call me much. We text. Dad's not much of a phone talker. So if dad calls me, it means he's got something to say. He's not just calling to shoot the breeze with you. So I'll pick up the phone, and what my dad said was, you'll never believe this. I just got a call, and your mom doesn't know. It's, just, it's a surprise, but she has just been nominated. She is about to receive the Citizen of the Year Award for Wise County. It's a county in Dallas-Fort Worth. And she's receiving a Citizen of the Year Award based on her uh, grief work and the work that my mom's done in therapy all around that area. So within two days, I get a call that you had cancer and that you're about to receive, like, the most prestigious award for Wise County, if not any county. You're about to be the Citizen of the Year Award, which made Dad and me and Jonathan like, man, we haven't really won any awards in our life. Like, but at least we know one who won the Citizen of the Year Award, which is just wild. And that's when I called you that day because you didn't know you had won that award yet. And I said, Mom, there's something inside of you. Uh, there's a book inside of you, and we need to get it out. The journey you've been on, the expertise, the wisdom you have. So I, I mean, I've written a few books, but I don't consider myself an expert. I was like, how can I come alongside of, of my mom? Not that you needed somebody to help you, but just to serve as a prompt, as an encouragement to, to help get this out. And I thought you would take a few days before you answered me. But in that conversation, <laughs> you said, let's do it, let's go. So we've been on this journey now for over a year. I'm happy to say that over half of the book has been written with you as a cancer-free woman. Yes. We celebrate that. And that you have released it. You don't get to touch it anymore. It's going public. This is it. So in a week, next Tuesday, September 1st, you'll be able to buy our book called Scarred Hope on Amazon. You can get it in a physical form, an ebook. And for Sycamore View, I just sent an email to, to all Sycamore View members uh, for some of you who may not like to mess around with Amazon, if you want to purchase a physical book, we'll have them available through the church. Just fill out that form. I have a few pickup signs. There'll be safe ways for you to come pick it up. And if you want it signed, you can have it signed by me. I don't think we'll have it signed by her, but you deserve that because for years, my mom would sell my books and she would sign my books with her signature on my books to give to people. This was her, she had her own sign off, her own signature, everything. So it's time for me to kind of pay you back a little bit, but I <laughs> hope you would jump in that. Our book ends with Ephesians 6. Mm -hmm. So section one, it's raw. You tell the story, your story for a few chapters of grief and pain and suffering. It's fantastic. 
Section two, we talk, it's more therapy, it's clinical, it's encouraging. We're trying to help people embrace grief as a friend. Grief can be a gift from God. And then section three, we actually go back and forth with 10 conversations about phrases that we often use in grief or suffering. And we just talk about those phrases and we just want people to weigh their words whenever we're ministering to others or walking with others or walking just with ourselves through any journey of suffering that there may be. We end the book with Ephesians 6, preparing people to move into the world, to live a life full of adventure and joy. So you take it from here. I knew I didn't want to end the book any other way, but with um, Ephesians 6, where we find out how do you get back up after you've been so wounded and had your heart broken. And I want to say right here, I don't believe that death is the only grief-producing event. I'm not even sure if I think it's the worst grief-producing event. We can sit around and dialogue, and most of us have a grief story of some kind. Our hearts get broken. And so we're figuring out how to journey that. I don't even compare that. But what I did in my, my early days of grief is I grabbed paper. C counselors carry around big paper. And I grabbed my big paper and I went on my back porch. And I worked through Ephesians 6. Just on that paper, I, I made a list. Truth. I skipped a few lines. Righteousness, I skipped a few lines. Peace, faith, salvation, word of God, prayer, be alert. And I laid it before the Lord. How can I live into these things? How can I wrap my flesh around these concepts? I needed them not to just be on paper or for my age group, flannel graph. I needed my skin around them because I was so desperate for them. So this morning for our time, I do all of them in, in the book. But this morning what I want to do is just go over three with you. I want to do truth. I want to do peace. And I want to talk about faith. Truth. There is a theme going around today with the pandemic of, I don't know. We're asked questions. I don't know. I don't know. And it takes me back even before Jenny died. It was a grief experience for me, which was a church wound. Rick had been fired at a church. He didn't do anything wrong. There was not a moral lapse. We were just in an unhealthy church. We really thought we were there to save the day, but it just wasn't going to work. And so I go to lunch with a counselor friend who begins to ask me questions. And the answer to every question at this lunch was, I don't know. Now, something you need to know about me, there's two words I don't want used with my name in the same sentence. I don't ever want to be called a pessimist. I'm very real, but I don't want to be a pessimist. And the second one is, I don't want to be called boring. Don't call me boring. I just don't want to be boring. And so the answer to every question was, I don't know. I felt, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But I didn't want to say it like that because I didn't want to be boring. So I said it like this. I just don't know. I don't really know. I don't know. I mean, I was just trying to change it up some way. We're in South Lake, Texas, which is a very wealthy community, and people don't throw big fits in restaurants in South Lake, Texas. But I felt my throat begin to clamp, and that means a squeaky is coming. It starts to squeak right before the big fit. 
And I, I got to get out of here because I'm about to start crying. I could feel it. So I stood up. I told my friend goodbye. I got to my car where I just wailed out to the Lord. I asked him, you got to tell me something I know, Lord. Just something I know. I've just spent over an hour coming up with everything I don't know. Where are you going to live? I don't know. What are you going to do about your house? I don't know. Is Rick going to stay in preaching? I don't know. What are you going to do for work? I don't know. What do I know? And the Lord spoke into my heart that day. It was not a male voice. There was a settling in my soul, and I know it was the Lord. He said this to me. My daughter, you know three things. You know that I will always be God, no matter what happens to you. My daughter, you know you're coming to see my face. And you know that you will have a very close circle of family and friends who will walk beside you till you get here. Outside of that, you just get to pretend like you know anything. We don't know. We know God is God. We know we're going to see his face. And we know we have a close circle of family and friends. And through the rest of it, we learn to settle in the unknown because we're so focused on what we know. What you claim as truth is very important to the direction of your life. Whether your wound gets infected or not. Super important what we claim as truth. Now what I've got here, I've got three basic stories of my, of my own that I share with you. But I share these with you today for you to use as a diving board into your own. If you want to use my stories, you are welcome to. But I also want you just to begin to explore, what do I say is truth? What's up in my world? What am I claiming? Especially today when we're sitting in unknowns, truth. And so the next one I want to talk to you about for just a minute is peace. Aren't we desperate for some peace? I was on my back porch about eight weeks after Jenny died and I was just hungry for a word from the Lord. And I started reading through Job. I confess, Job and I had never been great friends before, but I needed a word from Job. I knew Job was a lot about suffering, a lot about darkness, the wager between the power of darkness and God, and I felt in the middle of that. How am I going to walk this out? I was reading Job out of Eugene Peterson's work, The Message, when I got to the very end of chapter 3, where it says this, the worst of my fears has come true. Mm. What I've dreaded most has happened. There is no rest. There is no peace. Death has invaded life. It's a big book. I closed that big book with a thud. And I said, that's it, Lord. I'm not sure about when she was in the hospital, but I know since Jenny died, I have not had a day of, I have not had a glimpse of peace. I've not had a day of peace. And before that, I've never known a peaceless day. The Lord again spoke into me and he said, my daughter, that is Job speaking from his place of pain. But you and you are a Holy Spirit filled person. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. Somebody say truth. Isn't that right? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. And so how do we claim it? How do we live into it? What I picture every time I talk about peace is my breath. 
the breath of the Lord coming into me, my very own breath. We sang it just a minute ago in the Matt Redman song. This line was so important to Matt Redman, he puts it in two songs. He says, I want to breathe in your grace so I can breathe out your praise. Your breath is essential to your peace, not the externals. Our externals may or may not change. We can't let our externals drive or remove us from peace. It's in, it's in our breath because it's in our heart where the Holy Spirit is. I begin to cry out to the Lord, God, please open the eyes of my heart. Open the hands of my heart to your peace, to your presence, that I don't miss a glimpse of what you want to give to me. And that's exactly what he did. He was faithful to that. He just kept revealing himself in glimpses. Finally, a few years later, I had an ocean of it. I've never had a whole day full of peace since Jenny died, but I've never had a peaceless day since that encounter on my porch with the Lord. It's true. His peace is already ours. We just have to figure out how to claim it, how to open our eyes to it. Peace rejuvenates what is healthy in us so our wounds can heal. Breath is so important. Oxygen is so important to you being healed. The healing power. And that produces our peace. And now let's talk about faith. I want to be really clear to open about faith. That faith is not faith, my friends, if there's not doubts. We've got to be able as followers of the Lord Jesus to hold space with each other's doubts. Those aren't wrong. Faith can't be proven. Faith is something you choose. Faith is a direction we choose. It determines every move you make for the rest of your days on earth. What do we do about faith? I was driving to West Texas to speak at a women's event not too long after this, about 18 months, two years after Jenny's death. And I got almost there. When I looked over to my right and there was a field ash, it was just total ash, gray, deep crevices. There'd been a wildfire on, on that, that land. I wanted to go walk in that ash, but I didn't have enough gas to turn around. So I stopped at the nearest station, grabbed out my journal where I wrote this quote. Death created for me a spiritual earthquake and left me sifting through the ash to find the remnants of my faith. You've seen the scenes. You've seen those scenes where it's the 10 o'clock news at night or whatever time you watch news and there's a mother or a father walking through destruction after a hurricane, after a fire and they're looking through their, their belongings going, oh, I remember this. Maybe it's the wedding picture. Oh, I remember this. Maybe it's a baby doll. Oh, I remember this. That's how I felt walking through faith. Oh, I remember when God revealed himself to me as Yahweh, Jireh, the Lord who provides. Oh, I remember when he was faithful in this story. Oh, I remember when he did this, when he revealed himself as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Oh, I remember when God revealed himself as my peace. 
I remember. We store up in our own spirits. We store up in our own gut. We store up in our own hearts. Moments of the Lord's faithfulness that we just sang about. And we let that Rolodex play in our mind. God's faithfulness. I want to say right here, maybe if you can't find your own, you can find them in the scripture of God's faithfulness in the stories. God's faithfulness. The response to our faith matters. Not only on earth, but the response to our faith also matters, my friends, in the heavenly realms. Don't you want to know what Jesus prayed? I always get curious about Jesus' prayers. And I liken John, when at the very end of John, right before he dies, John does this big record of all the things Jesus prayed. And one of the things he prayed over his disciples is, protect them, Lord. Protect them. But my favorite prayer of Jesus' is so simple, and it's in Luke 22. It's a short little passage. Is where Jesus looks at Simon during Simon's time of walking away from him, denying him for just a spurt. And this prayer says, Simon, Simon. <laughs> Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith won't fail. And when you get back up, you turn around and go strengthen your brothers. You see, what Jesus prayed over Simon is not that his health would be good. What he prayed over him is that his faith wouldn't fail because what his eyes were about to see. It matters how we walk out faith. <clears throat> Thanks for walking us through those. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious if I could just see a show of hands, and I can't see those of you on live stream, but feel free to lift your hand where you are. But if you're in a battle right now in your life for truth, peace, faith. or faith, <laughs> if you're in a battle for truth, peace, or faith, we just raise your hand where you are. What I love about the way Ephesians 6 ends is Ephesians 6 is preparation for encounter. It's preparation for engagement. Ephesians 6 isn't let's hole up inside of a church or in a house and let's never get out. It's as we go out, we, we armor up. This is what we do. We armor up. And this is what the church does when we come together. We remind each other to armor up for, for the battle we're in, to armor up for the life we're in. Because today there's a life to be lived. There's a battle to fight. There's joy to be embraced. There's death to be conquered. So we come following the one who gave it all so that we could live this life with, with faith, with peace, with truth, with the armor of God. We're going to come to the table right now. So if you have the bread and the cup with you, I want you to go ahead and get that out. And I want to remind those of you who are here in person if you would like to pray with an elder after this service, we will have an elder out front by room 100. Just go out these doors, and there's a room to the right, and an elder will be there to pray with you. For those of you online or those in person, it may be easier for you just to jump online. There's a connect card, and then there's a way for you to, to share with us any prayer, anything we can do for you. There's a place for you to be able to submit that, uh, and we're honored when you trust us with things going on in your lives. I want to remind you when Jesus rose from the dead, 
He had scars in his hands and scars in his feet. He wasn't raised completely healed or whole. There were these scars. They bore witness to the greatest story ever told, that there is redemption. And it makes me think maybe when Jesus comes back and makes all things right, maybe there will be some stories of the scars in our own lives that are told, not in a way that sends us into some pit of destruction or despair, but in a way where we get to share the story of God's salvation, deliverance, and redemption in our own lives too. So as we take the bread and the cup today, I want, to, I want you to just reflect and think about the scarred hands of Jesus that are reaching out to us, who gave it all so that we could be made whole. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Jesus, thank you for not holding back, but for going all in. For all the wounds and scars represented right now in this service, we pray your healing power upon people. And the never once, not a moment of a day, will they feel as if your presence is not with them. Now in this moment, we give thanks for the bread and the cup that reminds us of this connection that we have with you, of everything, Jesus, you went through so that we could have this eternal connection with God. So through that, we give you thanks for all you have accomplished for us and for the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.